It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 9th of April. The Utah Jazz are going to the playoffs. Can I just repeat that time and time again for the next 30 minutes? We'll talk about that. Remarkable season that it is. The win over L.A. and the 8 million playoff scenarios that have my head about to explode. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. Hope you're doing great. Thanks so much for tuning in. The Jazz are going to the playoffs. Unreal season. Uh, and they did it on their 47th win of the season, pulling off the win against a hapless Lakers team. Uh, we are seeing at this point of the year why you have to be very careful about making uh, wide-ranging judgments about your franchise off wins this time of the season because uh, these are some depleted groups, so nothing particularly impressive on a playing an L.A. team that uh, doesn't have Lonzo Ball, doesn't have Julius Ray, or doesn't have uh, Kyle Kuzman, doesn't have uh, Brandon Ingram, but the Jazz did exactly what they should have. They got out ahead early. They took held the lead, and they blew him out, um, which is you know really precisely what the Jazz are supposed to do. They're doing some things very, very well right now. Uh, and, and actually, let's let's touch on that to start today. Uh, by the way, today's show is brought to you by uh, our good friends over at Murdoch Chevy with Tyson and the crew there and Intercap Lending as well. By the way, I know this might be hard for some of you to believe, particularly today with the two national ads, but um, there is actually one uh, about two spots a week left of local inventory for the playoffs. So if somebody is interested in advertising on the program uh, throughout the playoffs and up to the draft, there's there's actually it opens up a little bit in May, but as of right now. Uh, so there's a few spots available, uh, one or two per week. Uh, coming in, if you want to, email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. All right, let, let me just go kind of quickly where uh, the last night's win, uh, and, and then I'll – I don't think it's um, – you know, I don't think it's a, a big win in any way, shape, or form other than beating the Lakers for uh, the seventh straight time and longest streak we have is is good. Uh, we like to beat the Lakers. Uh, but let's just kind of look at it. The defense was stifling for much of the night and then laid off when it had to, but improved compared to what happened last time. Uh, even though it was a very fast pace of play game, the Jazz are clearly, uh, with the addition of Dante, more comfortable to play uh, the higher pace of play game right now. That is that is clear. Uh, Dante has picked up the tempo and increased what the Jazz are doing uh, offensively. And the Jazz are really, because I think of that bench unit being good all of a sudden, um, have been very, very good defensively. Their last five nights are all uh, top half offensive nights of the year. Uh, eight of their last nine are top half offensive games of the year. In fact, last night was, other than the game against Boston, last night was probably the worst one. Uh, the defense was stifling again, back to the 92.7, 17th best defensive game of the year uh, by the Jazz, which it probably should have been against that crew. But they, you know, that's a, the Jazz are doing a, kind of exactly what 
is their mantra. If they have a half-decent offensive game, they're winning. We'll see uh, what happens with that uh, in the playoffs. The, the other thing the Jazz are doing that's super impressive is the amount of corner threes they're getting. Uh, oh, oh, Really, since about March 15th, I believe the Jazz are averaging 10 a game, which is a awful lot. Uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. They have 125 corner threes in their last 12 games. So they're averaging a little over 10 corner threes a game, which is, you know, other than shooting at the rim, which the Jazz have been doing a lot uh, during that time period, is most efficient. Last night, the Jazz only took 13 mid-range shots the entire game, which I my quick scan is that's a season low. They took five in the paint and eight mid-range shots. Uh, long twos, the mid-range long two, the Jazz have actually taken fewer recently. Six against the Lakers last time, seven against the Grizzlies, seven against uh, Sacramento on March 17th, and six against Memphis. Interesting that the same teams show up there. You can, it's really, that's a testament to the fact that your defensive structure is probably about as important in some ways, than what your defensive is actually doing. It's why the Jazz uh, defense is is so fabulous uh, in their ability to get people to take the shots you want them to take. Uh, So that's last night's game. I I don't have a lot more to it. Uh, Donovan was electrifying. The -the over-the-head pass uh, is one of the best I've seen probably since Stockton's passed him alone. The around the back kick to Ingles in the corner is just stupid. It's the right play, too. That's what's so impressive about it. Uh, he was just terrific. Joe had his first 22-10 and 10 game of his career last night, uh, or first 20-10 and 10 game. Derek notched a season-high 13 rebounds, played great. Uh, Gobert wasn't as good last night, or at least impactful to the foul trouble. Derek closed the game uh, and played great. Royce O'Neal somewhat symbolizes this whole team. 25 minutes last night, 15 points, 5 rebounds, 2 assists, and, you know, went 2 for 4 on the corner 3, which if he can knock down the corner 3, then he's he's fine because his defense is just remarkable, right? I mean, there's no need to – He you're not asking a lot more out of him than – a few drives and empty the noggin. I wrote about a play that I think exemplifies where this whole team is. There was a very unselfish play by Joe Ingles in which he goes and gives the ball to Royce O'Neal, who's on the move. And by O'Neal being on the move, uh, he's able to, you know, his lack of, uh, of nifty dribbling, dribbling, uh, his lack of explosion around the rim. Some of those kind of things don't show up. Because what does show up is his aggressiveness, his reading of angles, his ability. He's very strong going to the basket. Uh, He doesn't elevate over anyone, but he's very strong going to the basket. He's a straight line driver. He's he's got no wiggle. Uh, And so he's able to use all of his skills. Joe, in the same circumstance, would have probably beat Thomas Bryan, who's not very good yet, uh, one-on-one. But instead, he he had the opportunity, and he sets up a teammate, and the togetherness of it. Uh, is terrific. The other one I think is worth pointing out on Royce O'Neal is just Quinn's faith in him. You know, Royce O'Neal's scuffling there for a little while, and you got to, you know, Quinn had to be thinking to himself like, well, at some point do I go back to AB? What do I do? No, you know, Royce brings me what he does. Royce is uh, still missed, I believe, 
12, 11 straight above the break threes. He has not hit an above the break three since March 2nd. But that corner three, he's now hit three of his last three and four of his last seven, uh, four of his last nine, five of his last ten. So if you can, you know, if he can do that, that's golden. That's the shot you expect him to take. And then drive from the 45s is the answer on him. It's a little bit of what you eventually kind of thought Crowder would do, but Crowder's been pretty aggressive uh, taking the shots he's taking. All right, let's get to the fact that this is a playoff team. Cause, and, and we'll discuss it more coming up here in a second. I mean, it's really, it's an incredible, incredible season. Uh, by the way, I want to be, be fair on something I just said about Crowder. Uh, I made it sound like he wasn't taking corner threes. That That is, there's anything but the truth. He is he is certainly getting those opportunities on the corner threes and doing a, um, and, and spa- his spacing is is really, really good. He's he's taken 15 corner threes in the last six games uh, and is hitting about 38% for the season. Uh, and I, I don't know exactly what he is uh, since he came to Utah. I could check that at some point. Uh, but that's, you know, he's he's been very aggressive, but in a, in a good way, and the Jazz are just terrific when he's on the floor. So hard to hard to quibble. I didn't mean to sound like I was like I was quibbling there. So the Utah Jazz are a playoff team. It's it's really it's an incredible season to be a part of and follow. It's um you know the script to make the playoffs winning 28 of 33 games is absolutely unheard of to win 15 of your last 16 road games and now be a 20 and 20 road team. The, these are not probable outcomes. This is this is quite something. And the fact that the Jazz have been able to achieve it uh, is is a testament on, a, on on so many different levels. I, I actually have a hard time grasping it. The question I've just started asking the players uh, and Quinn Snyder's how have you how have you done it? Like what is your you know Quinn's answer is a togetherness. A, the, the value of this team is the team um, that they're playing as one. That they've that they've unified. He doesn't want to call it a chip on their shoulder, but that there was. There's just a collective task amongst them without outside agendas, um, which is a tribute to really the four primary guys, five primary guys, actually probably a tribute to all of them. I mean, it's a tribute to Derek Favors in the sense that uh, he very easily could have gone awry and been upset about his status on the team and where things were and not being traded and free agency pending, and he hasn't done that at all. Uh, Rudy Gobert is the... You know, is the emotional leader probably of this team, and um, but stays kind of in his lane most of the time, and is able to do. Joe Ingles and Ricky Rubio bring a, a passion and an energy and a togetherness, and and then there's the kid, and the kid is just fabulous and elite, and personality-wise, doing things that uh, allows for everyone to to be on his side. Um, and you know, his teammates like him and he is a likable guy and you hear him say it all the time. He listens, uh, he, he tries to do the right thing and the kid's just terrific. Absolutely terrific. We'll talk, we'll talk more about how we got here, uh, this playoffs and look at the scenarios of the playoffs, which are a million, um, and some important games, uh, coming up as well. Today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Chevy. I'm excited. I get to go see. Uh, Tyson and uh, Blake tomorrow. Uh, we're all getting together for a little uh, recording session, so we'll hear what 
silly little ads we come up with. Uh, but Murdoch uh, Chevy really has a bunch of great things to him. One is that the Murdoch family and Chevy have been together for over 90 years in Utah. So just kind of the core bread and butter uh, that is Utah. Uh, this, the second thing is what Chevy's done. Chevy has got this incredible lineup of trucks uh, with with one in every category, the Silverado 1500 I drove for a while, and that was just, frankly, a luxury car. Gosh, it was just incredible to have that space and that cruise, and you could drive it forever. It was so quiet. Uh, these truck drivers have, have pulled one over on you that they're like tough guys driving a truck. These things, I'm surprised they didn't have caviar and champagne waiting for me every time I opened the door in that truck. I mean, I know it can, it can oh, my truck can, can pull all. Nah, this is like... This is like sitting on the lazy boy on the couch at home when you're driving that thing. It is just awesome. Uh, plus the great SUV lineup as well. Uh, the Traverse now has a third row of seating. Uh, the Equinox is terrific. The Suburban is a standard. It's all there at Murdoch Chevy in Woods Cross. Uh, check it out and say hi to Tyson when you're there. Life is complicated, especially right now. You're spending more time inside, unable to go to restaurants, and that means you're cooking dinner. But if you're like me, I hate cooking. Multiple trips to the grocery store, hours of monotonous meal prep just so you can scarf down your food in minutes. So when it's dinner time, I grab my phone, open up an app, and order something. But after convenience fees, delivery fees, and who knows whatever other fees, it ends up being close to $100 for two people. But then I met Freshly. Just put up your feet and relax while Freshly chefs and nutritionists do all the hard work. All you do is heat for three minutes and dinner's done. Imagine a better for you golden oven fried chicken, steak peppercorn with sauteed carrots and French green beans, and my personal favorite, buffalo chicken with loaded mashed cauliflower. It's got fewer carbs. That's just a few of the 30-plus health-conscious options to choose from. Freshly understands that food needs to be delicious, healthy, and simple, because let's be honest here, if it's not easy, I'm not going to do it, and if it doesn't taste good, I don't want to eat it. Freshly is offering our listeners $40 off, $40 off for their first two orders at Freshly.com slash LockedOnNBA. That's Freshly.com slash LockedOnNBA. So how is it possible that this team just made the playoffs? I still don't have the answer, but let's review a little bit of what this season was so we can understand kind of what just happened. I mean, let me walk through. Let's just so we haven't forgotten. And I don't think we have, actually. I think we're perfectly aware. You know, on November 10th, we lose to Miami 84-74. It leads me to making a document that next day called Bad Offense. And Bad Offense was the document that I had so that I would be prepared for broadcast this season. Had fewest jazz points scored against an opponent in any game. Had lowest jazz shooting percentage against an opponent with ever. Had worst quarters of all time since on that night we had scored eight points. In the third quarter against the Miami Heat, and I assumed we'd be doing it again and again. I had worst first halves of all time. I had worst second half of all time because we had just commit had the worst second half of all time in franchise history, scoring 25 points against the Miami Heat. We scored 25 points in a half. I had worst first three quarters. 
Worst offensive games, offensive rating since 1996, and our 75.8 against Miami was right up there. The five worst, I had them bold-faced. Longest losing streak games, dates. Longest home losing streaks. That's where I was mentally after the Jazz lost to the Miami Heat on November 10th, 84-74 for their fourth straight loss and Rudy Gobert had gone out with a Deion Waiters injury. We beat Brooklyn the next night when Rudy didn't play and then lost our next three, including at New York and at Brooklyn. And it was like, come on. We're 6-10. and ten. Our wins at this point of the season, actually were ha- two of them were half decent. They were against Denver on opening night in Oklahoma City and Portland overtime. But we were, were terrible. Brooklyn scored 118. The Knicks scored 106. Donovan was fun at this point. You're like, all right, well, at least we have Donovan. And then the first miraculous stretch of the year, the non-Rudy Gobert offensive explosion stretch, which starts in Orlando, beating Orlando by 40 and breaking their season. We really ended their season. And then the Jazz played a bunch of not very good defensive teams, run off, ran off a bunch of wins. Things looked pretty good. Rudy came back. Things were all screwed up again because then Rudy came back and we couldn't score again. We scored 94 against the Thunder and 101 against Houston and 100 in Milwaukee and 100 against Chicago. We lost in Chicago and you're like, oh my gosh, we lost to Chicago and Chicago's Miritich went nuts and we're 13 and 15 and we go to Boston and we win, but we lose Rudy again. And we're 14 and 15 now. Great win, but we lose Rudy. And then the murderous row starts. Then we play the most ridiculous schedule known to man until January 15th. And the part of this season that I think has been forgotten is from December 15th to January 15th, the Jazz were not favored in a single game that they played. Unless they were favored against New Orleans Pelicans on January 3rd at home, but I doubt it. At Boston, at Cleveland, at Houston, at Oklahoma City, home against the Spurs on a back-to-back, home against the Thunder, at Denver, at Warriors, home against Cleveland, home against New Orleans, at Denver, at Miami, at Washington, at Charlotte, home against Indiana. Maybe at Charlotte we should have been favored. I don't know. But that travel was insane. It's the only time my wife in 10 years of doing this has ever gotten mad at me. She screamed at me because my luggage was out. Not screamed. Came close at one point because my luggage was out and asked if I was putting it away. And I was like, no, because we leave again. At which point my luggage was the problem. She was nice enough to not blame it on me, but she was yelling at my luggage. The wins in that stretch were Boston, San Antonio, Cleveland, Washington. Like there's a part of the season that no one talks about is I don't know how we got four wins. But they were all impressive. And then it turns. Schedule gets soft. We win a bunch of games that weren't soft. And we and they believe in themselves. And obviously we talk about it all the time is the loss in Atlanta. One nineteen you know, one oh four to ninety, but 
You know, two nights before that, there's a loss against the Knicks, 117 to 115 at home. Rudy's back. Like, how do you lose to the Knicks? 117, 115. Like, the Knicks scored 117 points on us. We went to 18 and 27. Tim Hardaway Jr. had 31 that night. They started Jared Jack as their point guard, and we couldn't get stops. <clears throat> Derek Favors, Rudy Go. I mean, that's that was the that was the Rodney Hood. That was our regular lineup that was out on the floor that night. We started we started Rodney over Joe Ingles, and we were. I mean, Quinn was fiddling, trying to figure it out at that point. Engage Rodney. Do all sorts of things. We're a mess. And we go to Detroit, and an inbound pass to Joe Ingles. Forces overtime. Joe Ingles hits two threes coming back the other way uh, in overtime, and we win 98-95. Like, if that inbound pass doesn't happen, what happens? Who knows? If... Then Rudy go, Ricky Rubio hits the shot the next night. Then we come home and we throttle the Warriors, a disengaged Warrior team playing, I think, most of their guys that night by 30. Uh, yeah, I mean, they were playing their guys. They just were terrible. And we really begin to believe. And then I think the real turning point of the season is we go to Phoenix and on a back end of a back-to-back with brutal travel and a 5 a.m. plane troubles and all sorts of silly stuff, we go to San Antonio and we win. 120-115, Donovan's out with the flu. That win is as remarkable as anyone all season. And now you're 24-28. and You've suddenly won four in a row, and you begin to feel as though you're, uh, you know, you're somewhat unstoppable. And, and frankly, to, to win a ball game like that without Donovan is probably important in, in, that, in that span. It wasn't like Donovan was ever going to, you know, go too far with all of this, but it, it's important for that aspect of things uh, as well. It's real, It's just, it's stunning. And then I think we all kind of have followed it day to day. But there's so much to this. Um, and so many little stories. And so many behind the scenes things. And now you have a team that is winning and is fully engaged. There's no Joe Johnson wondering if he's going to get his buyout. He knew he was going to get his buyout, so he's not totally engaged. There's no Rodney Hood, sour that, you know, that his limelight moment is not happening. I don't know if he was sour. That's probably the wrong word, but... um, The the I, I sorry, Zach Lowe just came at me on Twitter. Not badly. 
Um, uh, so I think that that's – it's just this amazing, amazing season of I, – I don't even know how to explain it. And, and it's hard because I think it's it's a little bit of my job to try to make sure that each and every – this is all makes sense, but there's so many pieces to it. I think that's what I, my biggest comment would be to you is that there's so many different pieces that have how happened that has created this. That, that's, that's what I would tell you. That would be my takeaway. Um, and so many things were going on. The, the, the one thing I would add on Quinn Snyder, I'll do that in a second, and then we'll try to look at various playoff scenarios here. Um, because... Uh, and I and I hesitate on playoff scenarios. I almost don't even want to do it today. But it, there's a bunch of games tonight that matter. Uh, today's show is brought to you by Intercap Lending. They're a 40-year-old mortgage company that's moved to Utah. Uh, they've now employing, I think, close to 200 people in Utah, which is really cool. We like that. Uh, they can service your loan if you're in Utah or out of Utah. They just happen to have moved to Utah. Uh, they did our uh, refinance. Steve Carter helped me through the process. It, it was really it was great. It's a neat company. It's one of the largest independent uh, lending companies in the country. That allows them to do things a little differently, be hyper-responsive, embrace change, use technology the way they are. They've done a great job with their Intercap lending app. Uh, In fact, in this insane market, you can get pre-qualified on information through the app that you can then give to your your realtor. Uh, The other thing I would just tell you is uh, when I dealt with them, that responsiveness allowed the deal to get done. Uh, That's what was so great about Steve Carter and their group. Uh, and you did so much of it through the app that you're really it's much less time consuming than it was prior. Uh, Steve jokes he tries to let, make getting a mortgage as easy as ordering a pizza. And they've done that largely through their app. 385-885-28. Intercap Lending, 385-885-28. If that's Steve's number, when you reach Steve, tell him you heard it on Lockdown Jazz. And then make sure you, they know because they'll get a, give you a free appraisal. When you uh, do your mortgage uh, with them, if you uh, are having, if you're self-employed, have business assets, have multiple properties, uh, any low credit issues from the past that are a little more difficult with the big, with some of the other companies that because they're a direct lender and uh, have that kind of flexibility, intercap lending can do more for you. So call intercap lending 385-885-28 intercap lending NMLS number 190465. That's NM. LS nineteen oh four sixty five. For more information, visit intercaplending.com. Hi, this is Nate Duncan from Locked On's Hollinger and Duncan podcast. Those of you who listen to our show know that I try to take a measured approach. I'm not prone to hyperbole. It really takes something special to get me excited. But with all that said, Theragun is simply one of the best products that I have ever used. I just turned 40. I've always loved to work out, to play basketball when it's safe. And as I got into my 30s, it just wasn't possible to do that anymore the way I wanted to because my body didn't feel right. And Theragun has helped me fix so many of the aches and pains. I tried everything, massages, chiropractors, this at-home device, handheld percussive therapy has worked better than any of those for me. And now the all-new Gen 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor. It's so quiet. It's no louder than an electric toothbrush. And best of all, you can try Theragun risk-free for 30 days. There's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and 
and power you need starts at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash locked on, the name of this network right now, and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash locked on, theragun.com slash locked on. All right, this is actually interesting. This little Twitter thing just happened. I'll share it with you. So Kevin O'Connor, who I think is really good uh, on NBA Ringer, uh, made a comment that um, – let me see if I can find it. So he, Kevin O'Connor said that he was not going to vote for Rudy for first team because of the fact that uh, Rudy hasn't played enough games, but he is going to vote for him. Um, so he, here's what he – right. Uh, I left Gobert off because he played – maximum of 56 games, which feels horrible considering the argument for and against Curry also applies to Gobert. It's especially feels silly since Gobert will be my first, my choice for defense player of the year, but all NBA is an honor for both sides of the ball and offense is worth more than defense. Um, I wrote, here's where I think his logic is flawed. Gobert and Embiid will play about the same amount of minutes. Gobert will likely win the same or more games than Aldridge or Jokic. Moreover, I'm no longer convinced offense is more important than defense. So Zach, and I might not be capable of battling wits with like the smartest basketball people in the whole um, world here. Let me see if I can. So Zach came back and said that he, um, where did Zach go? Zach, where did you go? I wasn't preparing this for this part of the show. I was going to do playoff situations. Um, he said, this is particularly fair, well accepted in the NBA circles that superstar, superstars can drive offense on every possession. Almost no one, and Gobert made the exception, can do that on defense, not even Kawhi. I mean, this is, I'm fighting this value of defense, which, um, you know, I'm on, I'm on my island on this one. Um... Oh, he wrote, pretty fair argument from Kevin. These are very hard decisions. People are unfortunately going to frame them as no-brainers. Um, so I, I don't disagree with Zach. Then Kevin Kelton chimed in on a on it similarly. It's an interesting debate. Um, somebody was tw- somebody tweeted out to Pelton. I wasn't really prepared to do this, but the Pelton had an interesting comment. Um, and I didn't mean to say it's a no-brainer. Um, I probably should have phrased it as... Um, I should have phrased it more that, you know, my the other way to look at it would be rather than this is where I think his logic is flawed. But it, it's it's insane. All right, let me try to walk through playoff scenarios. <laughs> all right, let's go with... First of all, let's assume for this conversation, Minnesota's going to beat Memphis, San Antonio's going to beat Sacramento, New Orleans is going to beat the Clippers, Oklahoma City's going to beat Memphis. And I really think we should assume that Oklahoma City's going to beat Miami tonight. But we can't. So there are four games that are determining all five, six games that have everything wacky. Our two games, Oklahoma City at Miami tonight, Portland at Denver tonight, New Orleans at San Antonio, and Denver at Minnesota. If we win our final two games, we're the third seed. Okay. That's, like, easy. Who do we play? In most scenarios, we play Oklahoma City. However, 
if Oklahoma City were to lose to Miami and we were to win out, Oklahoma City ends and Minnesota beats Denver. Minnesota wins that tiebreaker. We end up playing Minnesota. Uh, so, you know, that's a possibility. We could play Minnesota's a possibility there. When we start losing to, if we lose to Portland or Golden State and we stop it and win the other, which doesn't seem likely. It kind of feels like we lose one, we lose the other. Um, I guess that depends on what happens with Portland and Denver tonight. Um, Then we could end up tying with Portland and if we if if we end up, it's so complicated. I can't even start. So if we lose to Portland but beat Golden State, and we end up at forty eight wins, Portland's number three. We then try, try, uh We end up with Oklahoma City, and tied with Oklahoma City in San Antonio or New Orleans. Oklahoma City would win that tiebreaker with any of them, and before we would become five and go to Oklahoma City. That's if, that's if Oklahoma City wins. Does so yeah. So we lose to Port, beat Golden State, lose to Portland. Oklahoma City wins out. We go to five. Oklahoma City goes to four. Regardless of what happens with San Antonio, New Orleans. Did you get that? Did that make sense? <clears throat> the. Uh, we lose to Golden State and beat Portland. Then Portland is the third seed if they've beat Denver. If Portland loses to Denver and then loses to us, and we lose to Golden State, so everyone's at 48 wins, we end up in a tie with Utah, Portland, Oklahoma City, and you have to find the division winner first. Portland becomes the division winner. Oklahoma City gets the fourth seed. We get the fifth seed because you separate Portland out. And then we lose the tiebreaker to Oklahoma City. How nutty is that? So we win one of two, and most of the scenarios have us as the fifth seed going to Oklahoma City. If... Oklahoma City loses tonight to Miami. And we lose to Golden State and beat Portland. Portland's the three seed. If Portland loses to Denver and that happens, we win the division and are the third seed. Portland would be at 48 with either New Orleans and San Antonio. And Oklahoma City's now down at 48. <clears throat> if we lose both, yeah, there's no chance you have any idea what I'm talking about. Most likely, if we win both, we're the, here's most likely we win both, we're the third seed playing Oklahoma City. Most likely. Unless Oklahoma City loses tonight, and then we could end up playing Minnesota. 
we split and most likely we're the fifth seed going to Oklahoma City. That's most, assuming Portland beats Denver tonight. Okay? If we lose both, gets really kind of fun. Not good because we lost both. But if the tiebreaker is Utah, New Orleans, and Minnesota, then we get the seventh seed. If it's Denver, we get the sixth seed. So we actually want Denver to beat Minnesota. That's if it's New Orleans with New Orleans. If the tiebreaker is the Pelicans beat the Spurs, so now it's Utah, San Antonio, and Minnesota, we get the sixth seed. If it's the Pelicans... The Jazz and Denver, we get the sixth seed. The one we don't want is Utah, New Orleans, and Minnesota because Minnesota has beat New Orleans four times. That slides us to seven. We're going to Oakland. So we lose both. Here's the summation. And this is the there's other variations. I'm not perfect here. We lose both. We do not want, which is probably the most likely scenario, a three-way tie at 47 with Utah, New Orleans, and Minnesota, or we slide to seven. Any other variation, Denver instead of New Orleans, San Antonio instead of, or excuse me, Denver instead of Minnesota, San Antonio instead of New Orleans, and we're at six, going to Portland. Okay? If we split and OKC wins tonight, Sure looks as though we're five seed going to Oklahoma City. We actually, in theory, by the way, could pick our choice of whether we'd rather go to Oklahoma City or rather go to Portland. I think by the time this comes out. Third thing is obviously if we win both, it feels as though we end up three, Oklahoma City ends up at six. Just the weird way tiebreakers work. And the wild card on all this is if Oklahoma City were to lose tonight, that would change things <clears throat> a little bit. If Oklahoma City would be at 47, if we split, we're at 48. And then we end up with a tiebreaker with San Antonio or New Orleans. They'll be at 48 as well. Portland would probably be the three seed unless they lose to Denver. It all gets wacky. But at that point, we win the tiebreaker with New Orleans or San Antonio. And we would be the four seed. And I believe they we would then play New Orleans or San Antonio as the five. The only team I have us not playing is Houston. I can't figure that out. I haven't found that one. I have found us playing Denver. All right. That wraps us up. Hope you enjoyed the show. Kind of wacky. We're in the playoffs. It's remarkable. Have a great night or a great day. Appreciate you tuning in. Uh, if you'd like to fill one of those final inventory spots during the playoff run, feel free to email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. It is Locked on Jazz.
Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.